Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. And I'm Danielle. I'm really excited to do this episode this week. We're going to start off talking about listener feedback. We've had a lot of really generous comments online this week. Jan Nicholas Burson Cowich on Facebook, he said, I love this podcast, so relaxing. I never really thought that we would be a relaxing podcast to listen to, but I, I like getting that feedback. We also got some love from some Reddit users, Tomily, Valerius13, and Chugbeef. I like that that username, Chugbeef. Thanks for all the kind words. You know, they're saying, like, keep up the great work and all that stuff. We've also got some reviews. We have some more reviews on Facebook. Our good pal Jerry Turnbull, the Hellboy historian on Facebook, said... The three hosts are very friendly and enthusiastic and come at this with knowledge of the comics and a healthy dose of humor and plenty of thought-provoking observations. It's a real treat to sit and listen and browse through the comics as they discuss the issue at hand. There's also a lot of listener feedback, so if you have an observation or question, they are more than willing and able to respond. If you're a casual fan or a serious scholar of the Mignolaverse, this is definitely the podcast for you. Highly recommended. So thank you for those kind words. Brian Levy, also on Facebook, said, It's essentially exactly what I've been wishing for, an active, dedicated, community-focused Hellboy discussion. I write into Hellmail and comment on Mignolaversity as much as I can, but this podcast is the thing that I can emerge with that works the best, I think. Listen to it. Even if you're not reading along, it's worth a listen to hear such an in-depth discussion on a fairly popular but largely ignored in the comics discourse series. These stories demand this sort of attention this podcast gives. Listen. I really like that a lot, and that's the, kind of the whole point that I've been trying to trying to do with this podcast. That was uh, pretty awesome. <laughs> Chopper Johnson on Facebook said, Hey, folks, I started a little late. I just binged the first seven episodes in a week. I love the varied perspectives on the books and listening to people who notice the things that I missed. And he also wanted to throw out something to the listeners. This is a pretty cool tip. Check out with your local public library to see if they describe to the digital service Hoopla. I just checked, and Hoopla currently has more than 100 Mignola books, including some of his non-Hellboy titles. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. I actually checked our local library. We do have that Hoopla service, so that's um, pretty awesome. I need to go in there and get a membership. I tried to do it online, but it wasn't working out. That's actually pretty awesome. I didn't even know that the um, public library did uh, digital comics like yeah. that. So where to go libraries. Yeah, really. You could be reading a lot of this stuff for free. Tom Barnett and Ryan Rollinson, thanks for coming on board and giving us some nice comments this week on Facebook. We also heard from Mateo El Santos on Facebook. He said, I'm from Brazil and was looking for a podcast of Hellboy for a long time, but in my language. I didn't find any, so I search in English and discover your podcast. It's amazing. I'm in love with it. It is so good to remember the awesome work of Mignola. Wow, so I thought that was really awesome to hear from a, a listener in Brazil. Thanks for listening from all the way over there. Awesome. Thanks, Brazil. Yeah, I wish that we weren't just dumb Americans that only knew one language. Maybe we could do this in other languages, but we well, just... The, <laughs> the American public school system doesn't really encourage, I would say, to a great degree, right. learning more than one language. But I'm glad you're so able to enjoy the, the podcast. If you've been enjoying the show, please rate and review us on the podcast services or on Facebook. It helps the whole thing get more visibility on our social media thingers. Don't forget to check out Mike Mignola's art Facebook page, the BPRD News Network on Facebook. 
the Mignola subreddit on Reddit. They're actually nice places to be on the internet. And I know that it's hard, you know, for some people to believe that anything about Reddit could be positive in <laughs> any way. And I understand that. I really do. But there are small little sections where people are still Aww. decent to each other. So right. that's that's usually the places we seek out. It's, it's usually going to be these really specific things like we're only talking about. Mignola art or Hellboy or whatever. So that's those are actually sincerely they're, yeah. they're good places to be for the time being. <laughs> I don't know how much longer that's going to last. I don't know. I think with some places on Reddit they do keep a you know pretty nice, but yeah, yeah, there's a lot of. It has to be a really specific community. I think it can't just be like a real broad general. Right. Yeah, a specific <laughs> area. community with really good mods. Right. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Our good pal Kevin Alford over at the BPRD News Network chimed in on Conquer Worm. He said, Conquer Worm is the pinnacle of combined Mignolaverse to me. Hellboy and Roger is amazing as a team, but when you add in the lobster, I go stiff and start speaking in tongues. You've got two of the most iconic enemies, some of the best panels, and probably the best Mignolaverse side story in The Traveler. It feels like the nexus of everything that comes after. So I couldn't agree more. We're still getting some love on that Conquer Worm episode. We had some listener feedback regarding the third wish, which is what we read last week. Jerry Turnbull said, I think the werewolf in the third wish has to be a nod to Bertrand Callier, the werewolf from The Werewolf of Paris by Guy Endor from 1933, regarded as a classic werewolf tale. He meets a similar end to Emile Bertrand throwing himself from the top of a building. And so I read up on this a little bit. What's really cool about this story as well is it also uses historical fiction to put the story in the middle of the Franco-Prussian War. So I thought maybe Bertrand was a reference to the guy that, I forgot what it was, Bertrandite or something like that. But I don't think, I, I think that this is probably, Jerry's I think got the right detail there. Josh Adkins on Facebook said, oh man, these are some of my favorite chapters in Hellboy's story. I love these panels from the island. And it was the panels where Hellboy's drinking with the sailors. I thought that was a great comment. Drew Campbell, uh, we, uh, regarding our discussion on the whale, he says the whale does look like a humpback whale, and yes, it does have a filter instead of teeth. Is the it called a baleen? Yeah, the filter is made up of what are called baleen plates. Baleen plates. Yeah, I read that comment. I was actually really fascinated too to learn about whales <laughs> yeah he said um the whale opens its mouth and takes a mouthful of water then pushes the water out of its mouth and the baleen plates trap the food in its mouth so maybe the bell was just floating around some plankton and that's how it got stuck in there absolutely and then i thought about it a little bit more and while it's always fascinating to learn about you know whales and whatnot i kind of thought to myself okay so i can i can deal with interdimensional monsters but i can't deal with a bell somehow getting stuck in a whale so i you know it's these little nitpicky things though that somehow make it more enjoyable for me i'm not sure why that's great drew campbell also said he tried to research elmer newton we talked about that a little bit last week who is that dedication and seat of destruction for he said that he found an elmer newton who was killed in a bar fight by being stabbed in the head surely that's not the elmer newton that seat of destruction was dedicated to But in looking through that newspaper, I found a little article about a British official making some comments about a bearing scene appropriation. That official's name, Sir Edward Gray. (laughs) I got a lot of love this week online for sharing the Skeleton Crew replicas that I have. And Skeleton Crew even thanked us out for the shout out on Twitter, which I thought was pretty cool. Nathaniel Green said he tries to ring his Mahlomi's bell at least once a day. 
Oh, so inspiring. <laughs> Church of Sagan on Instagram said that the bell is the best piece in his collection. And Andy Carlson and our good friend Letters and Number also showed off some of their replicas online. Our good buddy Mark Tweedell on Twitter said, I cannot accurately put into words how incredibly satisfying it was to hear the gently dinging of Mathlomi's bell in the latest podcast. My brain lit up like fireworks. And then the Barbara Yaga responded, (laughs) It was as comforting as I'd always imagined. Hashtag same. So I, and then we they had did a, a good job with the yeah. with the replica. For and we sure. had a good little conversation on Twitter too about which replicas we'd like to see in the future sure. and all that stuff. Yeah. It was it was a good time. I think Jerry had posted something on the Facebook page about the sword from. Uh, yes, oh, I saw, yeah, I saw Ted, that today. Yeah, Ted Howard's sword. Yeah. I don't think we've been introduced to that, but yeah, it's one of my favorite. Right, it's well, one we of my all-time favorite. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll get to that eventually. Oh, hey, are you going to put a timestamp? Offer this? Yeah, I'll put a timestamp okay. when we start our um, discussion, but I'll probably cut all this out. No, you should leave it. Some feedback from <laughs> me on the last episode. Danielle asked me what my favorite sea shanty was. <laughs> and so <laughs> we did not get a lot of online comments about people. About sea shanties. About people I'm surprised. To, yeah, I was really disappointed. You would I, think... I, I, I was considering like just... Switching over to a yeah. sea shanty only podcast. Oh yeah, well there's what a lot if we of, just <laughs> there's a lot of room there. Yeah, let's just make a podcast where we talk about sea you think shanties. We need to check the sea shanty, but not sing them. Just talk about them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we need to check the sea shanty Reddit. <laughs> I wonder if there's Sub-reddit. one. I'm gonna look into that. Anyway, uh, there probably I, is one. <laughs> I did get back into my Assassin's Creed Four Black Flag game. And I scrolled through all the sea shanties that I had oh, to nice. figure out which one was the one that I liked the most. And it's called Roller Bowler. Roller Bowler. So I'll play that. I'll insert Classic. a little snippet of that. Awesome. As I rolled out one morning, away you As I rolled out one morning, I met a lady fair. Tell me, hey, bring it, ting it, ting it, ha, ha. Good morning, ladies all. Away you run, Kevin Alfred said of our discussion on the island, you all's coverage was just plain killer. I totally learned something. Thanks, Kevin, but over here we say y'all. We don't say <laughs> you alls. Just kidding. He's not kidding. We say it's y'all. It really is. <laughs> Chris, as much as I try not to say y'all, I say y'all all the time. Yeah. Chris C. Palmer on Instagram said, Great episode. What an amazing and dense story. Never realized how all this tied into the BPRD arcs, as I have read so much of the stories out of order years apart. Thank you guys for breaking it down. So that's kind of similar to me. I've read a lot of this stuff out of order. I read a lot of the Hellboy stuff and then went back and did the BPRD stuff. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you're enjoying us, um, kind of putting it all in order and breaking down all the different pieces. Mark Tweedo on Twitter regarding the Black Goddess, he said, I spoke a little bit about the Black Goddess. The article is quite old now and full of inaccuracies, but he posted an article on our Twitter that he had written about the Black Goddess for Multiversity. And he said, keep your eyes peeled for the term Urshigal. You would have already seen it by now, and it's connected to that statue. Mm, so um, I, I haven't had a chance to go back through every obsessively through everything that we've read to look for that word. But I do know that it's mentioned in Rasputin's little uh, when he's trying to summon the dragon in Seat of Destruction. Okay. He does say Urshigal right. somewhere in there. I need to look a little bit more into that. I didn't have time to look into that, but we'll be keeping track of that from now on. 
Ryan Bolton on Facebook said, So I too came into the Hellboy universe through the movie, and aside from the Weird Tales stories, it was a while before I could find much Mignola Hellboy work. Then the island came out and blew my mind with that imaginative mythology. I've been hooked ever since. And so it's really good to hear from Ryan, because I've noticed he's been liking stuff on our page for a while, and it was good to finally get a comment from him. I'm like, (laughs) yeah, Ryan, thanks for coming on board. He was lurking. Okay, so we're gonna the first story we're gonna talk about today is Into the Silent Sea. This was published as an original graphic novel in April of twenty seventeen, so just over a year ago at the time of this recording. So it's a pretty recent release. I thought it would be cool to read it now, since it comes directly after the events of the island, which we read last week. The story is by Mignola and Gianni. Art is by Gary Gianni, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. Into the Silent Sea is also in the omnibus version after the island, so that's another reason why I thought it would be good to put it here. Uh, Once we finish this story, we're going to start going into that Hellboy Library Edition 4, and we'll probably finish that out before we go on to anything else. The dedications from Mignola are for John Huston, Ray Bradbury, Gregory Peck, and Herman Melville. All these guys are associated with the Moby Dick movie from 1956, which we also referenced last week. Huston directed the movie, Peck starred, Huston and Bradbury did the screenplay. And the original book, Moby Dick, is written by Melville. Mignola also thanks Hodgson, who wrote the Sargasso Sea stories, which we also discussed in our last episode. Gianni thanks his dad and Jack Kirby. We opened up right after the events of the island. So remember at the end of the island, we saw Hellboy building the little ship and uh, Hecate was watching him as he sailed away. Here we see the same events. Hellboy's on the island with all the other beach ships. And we have a passage from the Rime of the Ancient Mariner by Coleridge. The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner is a long-form poem from 1798 that tells the tale of a haunting at sea after the killing of an albatross, where the ship's crew are visited by death and nightmare life in death, who is described as a pale, ghostly woman. And a lot of other bad stuff goes down. Right off the bat, I want to comment on the art on this one. Yeah, Yeah, Um, let's talk about that. It kind of reminds me of like when you see like old illustrations in like newspapers or encyclopedias with that fine pen work. It's funny you say Um, that. Because uh, Gary Gianni, I don't know if you're familiar with his work. I was not. I am not. I had to look him up. I had to do some research, uh, a.k.a. I had to Google it. Wow, good job. I I gave it a googs. He graduated from the Chicago Academy of Fine Arts. He worked for the Chicago Tribune as a courtroom sketch artist. He made a comic book debut with with an illustrated adaptation of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Oh, wow. Oh, that's awesome. Went on to work for Dark Horse Comics, obviously. And then um, he also has been recently been doing stuff, well, kind of recently, within the past few years. Um, he did a little some illustrations for a prequel to Song of Ice and Fire series. Oh, from Game of Thrones. Yeah, mm. so he's still, yeah, still still doing a whole bunch of stuff. He won a um, an award for his collaboration work with the Batman black and white stuff. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, so quite an interesting career that he did, I think, some Prince Valiant, too. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did a little, so that's dead on, Aubrey. Yeah some, yeah, some of that Prince Valiant stuff. But, I mean, I also have to, like, you know, just, like, all of these fine lines that never overlap, but, you know, there are, like, thousands of them in there. Yeah. That particularly... It's, it, it's so beautiful. That really um, reminds me a lot of copper plate etching, Right. stuff mm-hmm. that i've seen and i've you know i've been working in this this um printing shop for a while now like a year and a half and there's a, a guy in there pat masterson who does all these amazing copper plate etchings and he actually kind of taught me how to do it a little bit and 
there's so many steps involved. It's a lot more than screen printing, in my opinion. I don't. I find it more. To, I guess because I've done a lot more screen printing than I have copper plate etching. You know, he'll do etchings of a bunch of different types of styles and all that sort of thing. But the whole process is really when it over when you have a completed product. These I would say I I guess like the third page just looks like it could be totally a copper plate etching. Right. I would like to yeah. see that honestly. That would be awesome. I'd do it myself if I had the copper. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to see that too. That seems like it would be pretty, yeah, pretty amazing. I, and I wondered if he—that's how I—that's why I actually looked him up because I wondered if he did any etching. It says here right. he graduated from a fine arts school, so I imagine he maybe did uh, some sort of printing in there. Something. Yeah, I don't know, but I wonder if that contributed to his style or anything. I don't know. That's, yeah. Anyway, it really yeah. could have. Yeah. But, um, no, but I know what you yeah. mean. Like by the the fine lines and that's that style really reminds me of that. So I'm glad you brought that up because that's I agree. It's really very fine and. It adds a lot to the story. Yeah, mm-hmm. it really does. And you were saying something about, I was like, I wonder why Mignola gets, you know, all these people. I mean, it's it's awesome to see these great artists do these yeah. Mignola stories. I think it's really cool. But I was I was wondering, you know, why in particular this story? And you had said something <laughs> about the ships. Yeah, I'm going to talk about some of the trivia. I'll come back to some of the trivia at okay. the end. Okay. One of the things that I read that was humorous was that. Mignola was happy to hand the story over to Gianni because he didn't want to draw all the ships. All the ships, right? All the all the complicated ship stuff, which I thought was was a funny anecdote. We see a lot of Gianni's work on the ship too. He does like a really good job. We also get the same passage from the pilot by Bailey that we got at the end of the island. It continues, whereas the island is ended with "There is no place for thee." Into the silent seas passage goes on. Fear not, but trust in Providence, wherever thou mayest be. And just like you said, we have these great shots. I love Hellboy pulling that sail up. The last panel of this scene kind of starts to get really dark. And you can kind of, if you notice that little detail, you can see that ship was rising in the background. Is it rising out of the water, do you think? Oh, I don't know. I guess it, I thought it was rising in the distance, but it might be coming up out of the water. That's good. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I first thought it was coming from the distance, but now I'm thinking maybe it's coming out of the water. Yeah. And so all of a sudden we see a large black ship is upon Hellboy and seems to strike his small boat and then it just goes black. Hellboy wakes up and finds himself bound to the ship mass by the pirate crew. And I like these little kind of kinetic shots of them stringing him up where it, it's got like the hammer and then the lock and then the, the pulley. It kind of reminds me of a movie where you see those quick yeah. shots. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. It's like, you know, the clink, crank, clink. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The captain tells the crew to gather round and witness what ye have signed on for, which is a reference to Moby Dick, where he says, and this is what ye have shipped for, men, to chase the white whale on both sides of land. Mm. The captain tells his concerned crew that they will be able to get a lot of money for this creature when they return home. One crew member doesn't want any part of this and says that the captain and the wretched thing can go into the drink or every soul on board is doomed. And the captain just shoots him dead, right? Right. And up until now, I mean, obviously, if this is the first time you're reading the story, you think, oh, this is a regular bunch of ancient ghost pirates who <laughs> have come across a monster. But then later you find out, I mean, later in the story, you find out they've been picking up weird monsters this whole time. And have been dealing with monsters this whole time, right? What do you mean? On the ship? Yeah. No? Kind of. Or no. Like, is that the same? Does she have a different ghost crew wherever she goes to help her? She's in the desert in one scene finding a mummy or some crap and... Yeah. I mean, is it the same? Does she... She just finds a random band of ghost pirates and says, hey, help me with these monsters. 
Yeah, I guess everywhere you're right. she goes. I, yeah, I, I don't really I know. Like, that. I don't know if they've seen more than one oh, of her okay. crazy trips now, or not. When we get the flashback later, because why woman is this guy freaking out? Is he a new ghost? He just got there. Yeah, maybe she just got this ship's crew just for this one. Just for mission, this one mission, and they sure. haven't been with her all this time. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't think about that. That's a that, that's a great point. I could you be wrong. Up. Maybe I'm wrong. I think I'm nitpicking again. I don't really know. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know. I could see her hanging out in the afterlife docks, going, "Okay, I need a crew. I need another. Yeah. <laughs> Who wants to get hired on? <laughs> sure. Okay. We get the little dog too. The dog barks at Hellboy. Um, I always think about Hellboy and Mac. Little yes. Hellboy and Mac. He had a dog when he was growing up. The captain reveals that the ship is named the Rebecca, and he orders the crew to prepare the dead man's body for burial. Hellboy talks to the captain, who is surprised when he speaks. The captain tells Hellboy that he'll thank him when he's famous, and that he will rank with the Fiji Mermaid, the Burmese Tiger Man, and Platypus Nell. The Fiji Mermaid is a famous sideshow exhibit that was advertised as a real mermaid, but it was actually a monkey sewed to a fish. Yeah. And it was exhibited by P.T. Barnum, a popular showman who founded the Barnum and Bailey Circus. Oh, hold on. Okay, so that just reminds me, like, I went and saw the Barnum and Bailey Circus as a kid in the 80s, and they were advertising they had a unicorn, and I was like, oh, oh shit, man. a unicorn. <laughs> oh, no. I'm like eight or nine years old sure. when this thing's going on, and then we went and saw it, and I'm all like, that's a goat. With one horn. Oh. Oh, so disappointed. Technically, that is a unicorn. Was it a natural? Lee just had one horn, or they sawed one of the horns off like horrible people, or like what happened? No, actually, it was natural. I went about and read about it not too long ago, like on Wikipedia. Cool. But it was they were like in the commercials, like you were seeing like the unicorns from Legend and all that kind of thing. Right. Oh, right. <laughs> and so and so here comes this goat in a cage, and I'm just like. <laughs> No offense to the goat. No, goats They're, are great. Yeah, we love goats. But, you, know, you thought it, you were going to see a giant horse. Exactly. That's interesting. Was the horn just on one side or was it in the middle? I believe it was in the middle. To be honest, I was eight. That's pretty cool. <laughs> that is kind of cool. I would like yeah. to see that. But Barnum and Bailey, false advertising. Yes. Oh, well, and also terrible because of the elephants and all the other. They've oh, trapped yeah. animals for a long time. I don't know. There's the whole thing. I think they they let all the animals go. They They shut down or something. Yeah, they shut down like last year or this year or something like that. I haven't been keeping up with Barnum and Bailey's circus. I don't don't think I ever went to the circus. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, The Burmese Tiger Man may be a reference to the Tiger Man, a.k.a. Bob Benton, a comic book character from the 1950s who was attacked by a tiger in Burma, but brought back to life by a Burmese medicine man using the blood of a tiger and magic, giving him powers of agility and healing. Okay. And I'm not sure about platypus now. What What do you think about platypus? I couldn't find anything on that. I don't that. know what that is. Although I will say, this is the point where Hellboy said, once he mentions the Fiji mermaid, Hellboy's like, oh, what year do you think this right. is? <laughs> like, the way they were fucking talking didn't tip him off. <laughs> I'm sorry, but nobody fucking talks like this. Well, may- maybe he thought they'd just been out at sea for a very, very long time. <laughs> right. Like- and, yeah, when Hellboy asks that, the captain says, what year do you think it is? Hellboy says that the ship looks like a 19th century sailing ship. but There's a lot about sailing ships. Yeah, but it doesn't have any sails. And he says, and I quit the Bureau in 2001. And he also recounts the events of the Third Wish and the island, which we discussed last week. What do you guys think of these panels? I love these panels. I was yeah. going to say, with the one with the mermaids and all that, that whole page is fantastic. And that one panel where he's in Africa with the lions behind him in that pool, that's just like... It's so awesome and yeah, detailed. Yeah, I really enjoy getting those little comparisons of um, different things that happened in the with Mignola drawing it and then with another artist. Yeah. And like Gianni just has like a really different style. 
on those mermaids, all the little scales and everything is like just really, really intricately, beautifully done. I also like how it is his style. I mean, it looks like what Mignola did in the um, in the last story, but um, this one just looks like um, you know it looks different, but it looks the same. You just like you know you know you're looking at the same yeah. thing, but it's a different artist interpretation. I like that. that. Yeah. So we see all we see all those events redrawn. The captain tells Hellboy that he spouts some colorful yarns, and that P.T. Barnum never had such a curiosity. Hellboy says his memory's a little hazy, and there's this weird scene right here where like. The sun emerges really brightly, and then it seems to be night. What do you suppose happens there? Somebody Weird shut magic. off the sun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they say when it goes nova, it'll flash bright and then gone. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but I, I don't think that's what happened. <laughs> No, it just looks like weird magic. I don't know. Right, yeah. I assumed it was some sort of weird magic. A small boy holds a spoon of water up to Hellboy. The boy says, hurry, before she sees. The boy introduces himself as William and the small dog as Master Kip. Hellboy jokes, you can call me Ishmael, which is a Moby Dick reference, right? Is but it? Before introducing himself as Joe. Isn't it for Moby Dick? Yeah, it is. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's the most recognizable possible Moby Dick reference. Uh, for a second, I thought maybe I had, because I didn't look that up. I just like said, oh, I know what yeah, that is. Yeah, everybody <laughs> knows what that is. Hellboy asks the kid for information, and he is told that the crew are superstitious and think Hellboy is a sailor from the southern latitudes who got red from chewing beetle nut. Did you want me to I talk had to about Google this? this. I, had to go- <laughs> I had to Google this one, too. Every time, like, it, it's not, I'm not actually doing any research and be like, wonder what this is, and I get on my phone, but it's. Yeah, I quote unquote did some research. The story is it's referring to the arica nut. Yes. Uh, and I don't I don't really know how to pronounce that. It's commonly called the the betel nut, betel nut, mm-hmm. which is a fruit of an arica palm, which grows in tropical Pacific, you know, South Asia, parts of East Africa, stuff like that. There's lots of different ways to prepare it. Some places use the innards of it. Some places use like the skin. It's got these carcinogenic properties that can be very harmful in a lot of different ways. Yeah. It's like looking up stomach ache on. You know, what is that website? Doctor.com. Right. Whatever the hell website it is. WebMD. WebMD, yeah. It's like looking something up on there. It's just like, it's going to kill you. You're going to die. So (laughs) It's always cancer. It's always cancer, exactly. It's very harmful to humans. Uh, The primary psychoactive compound in there is similar to nicotine and has been known to cause all kinds of different cancers and and problems, but it's a stimulant. So you chew on it like chewing tobacco and you spit it out, but when you spit it out, it's this horrible red stuff that looks like blood. Yeah. And so a lot of places have banned it just because it's an eyesore. Right, not, right. Not because it fucking kills you or on not any because of it's shit. disgusting. Because it, yeah, well, it is. So that's the reason because it's it's horrible to look at, and so. Oh, I mean, like the chewing of it. Oh, right, exactly. Yeah. The... Well, yeah, and so the chewing of it, it, it makes your mouth all red. Yes. It fucks up your gums and your teeth, and you just look like a horrible monster chewing up a bloody thing. Yeah. And some places it's seen as bad form to spit it out, so they prepare it differently, so where you don't have to spit it out or something, I don't know what it is, and so it's available in stores and markets depending on where you live. Jeez. Some places are trying to ban it. Some places have successfully banned it. It's on the black market. Some places you can just buy it. So I think here where we live in the States, it's not really regulated. We could just go into a, I don't know, some sort of specialty market. Here it's a specialty market kind of a thing, like a, right. some sort of a catch-all Asian market, I suppose, you could try and go into. But yeah, I really think I'll weird. pass on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I went through this whole wormhole, this rabbit hole online about this and just ended up reading about this for like 20 minutes it's just the most it's it's you know it is what it is but 
Yeah, I'm I'm impressed with that level of research. I did. Well, it wasn't on purpose. It's just <laughs> I was fascinated with this, and so. Well, you know, sometimes you just hit that one thing and you just fall down the rabbit hole. Exactly, and so they uh, they all were like, maybe he just chewed so fucking much of it that he right. got just fucked up. His he whole body, all, red, his, all yeah. his skin turned red. Like the equivalent of eating like too many carrots turning orange. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like that. Before we go on any further on the story, I just want to point out like this panel layout right here. We got Hellboy talking to the boy, and you see the the boathouse, and you see this tip of the la- ladder sticking out, which goes into the bottom panel, oh, which you see the that. other ladder going down into the other panel. So it's like you get to see the really three cross sections. Oh, I didn't yeah. even notice that detail. That Very is cool. Beautiful. I really love that. Thank you for pointing that out. And it's all like to scale too, it which reminds, is great. It reminds me a little bit of the um, Wes Anderson. What's it called? Yeah, Life Aquatic. They have kind of that where they show the inside up, of the ship. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's like that nice cross section cutaway yeah, of everything. It's nice. Others think that Hellboy is Pig Iron Bob, who was born with a tail. So I couldn't really find a reference to this. The only thing that I could find was for the Dalfram dispute of 1938, which was a political dispute with New South Wales protesting the export of pig iron from Australia to Japan. It became famous for providing the nickname Pig Iron Bob to Attorney General Robert Menzies, who later served as the Prime Minister of Australia. Because of this controversy, that was like a name that they made up to mock him. Pig Iron Bob, but he didn't have a tail or anything. It was like a political dispute. So I don't know if that's the right reference or maybe... I have no idea. Are we, are we sure he wasn't born with a tail, though? <laughs> <laughs> I can't be sure. Even if he was, that's no, that's no reason for a mean nickname. Well, I, I think also, like, when we talked about the Iron Shoes, Mignola said in that interview, I just like the name Iron Shoes. So he yeah. might have just said, I like Pig Iron Bob. Pig Iron I'm going to put it in there. Well, and also in the Mignola verse, a lot of things are kind of exaggerated and you... You know, fairies are definitely real, that kind of thing. There's this one crew member, Tom, and he says that Hellboy is Satan himself. Hellboy asks William if he's scared, and William says that he thinks the lady on board is the devil. A voice uh, from off-panel says, the devil is a myth, and we reveal a pale, ghostly woman holding a lantern. This page is very effective at being extremely creepy. I like how um, the boy says the she he, he thinks the woman's a devil and the woman's like devil's not real. Yeah, that's the first thing she says. Yeah, we get a little bell in there too, which kind of reminds me of the third wish. It says ting ting instead of ding ding. The woman says that there is no place for devils or myth in modern thought. She tells Hellboy that the Rebecca is under her command and that Hellboy is a scientific curiosity. She asks if he's heard of the lost city of Tun Ungar, one of the seven output cities of Hyperborea. And we learned a little bit of Hyperborea on the last episode. And we have this really cool flashback where she helped uncover the city and how they found a mummy that they were able to communicate with. She explains that she is part of the Heliopic Brotherhood, an organization that casts light on lost truth. The mummy seems to be binded upright with his hands on either side of its face, which is interesting and, and weird. Did you notice that? When mm-hmm. they like the sarcophagus or whatever is sitting upright, and then they open it up and it's like actually sitting up, the skeleton is positioned like that. Which is like super creepy reveal. It's almost like they was tortured and put into that sarcophagus. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Well, it it just looks like he's in a position of holy fucking shit. I can't believe this, this is horrifying. And you know, when you go when you go a couple pages later, there's a group of people who look like that. They're like, "Fuck no, what's happening?" That kind of thing. Oh yeah, you're right. So it might just be that he's horrified. Right, and just stayed in that 
wow, stayed in that state. They have this great-looking contraption to communicate with the mummy. What did you guys think of this? Uh, I really like this contraption that they have the the mummy in with like the phonograph and all that. It's very Lovecraftian. Yeah. yeah, I thought it looked pretty neat, but then it also seemed kind of like they were torturing a mummy. Right. Oh, they definitely are, and <laughs> yeah. it's horrible. They're horrible. Yeah. But it's, you know, the wax cylinders record. It's very, um, they're doing it. What the hell does that remind me of? This, like, old time. It's like an old timey ghost hunter thing. Hmm. What the fuck was it? It was terrible. Like, Sean Connery was in it. What the fuck? I never even saw it. Oh, was it League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? Something, something like that. Like I don't that. know. Where you've got the invisible man and all that shit, they're all together in the same movie. <laughs> I never saw it, so I don't actually know what I'm talking about. Okay, I did see that movie. And it's I- worse than you're thinking. <laughs> Which is sad because it's based on an Alan Moore story that gets right, a lot of acclaim. Right, right. Yeah, that's but what I'm trying to think of. That's a whole other That's thing. what I was trying yeah. to think of. Is it anything like that? Honestly, I've done my best to forget most of that okay. movie. Because <laughs> that movie was garbage. <laughs> so I didn't miss out on anything. No. Right. The mummy tells them that it lived in a time when their king was their god. And most were content to be ignorant but others believed that this made them slaves. So they called out to the serpent, and Hekin Emin-Ra came to set men free. But knowledge is not a blessing, the mummy says. For some it is power, for others a curse. It was our ruin. So remember in the island we learned about how the Hyperboreans were seduced by the black goddess, which caused the statue containing the hand, the right hand of doom, to kill everybody. So is the black goddess the same as Heka Emin-Ra? There's a lot of there's a lot of different as we've seen forces going on right. here at once and it might I don't know they might be different um incar- incarnations of the uh the Agdur Jihad let loose all these Oh the Agdurham. Agdurham and stuff. Do they all look like giant weird bugs or are some of them The Agdurham do the right. the Agdur Jihad are all dragons. I know the Agdur Jihad are dragons. I'm trying to say <laughs> when they let loose all this fucked up shit on the world right are some of them weird gods and spirits or are they all weird bugs oh well, i think they're all weird bugs okay yeah. but some people would worship the weird bugs the as weird gods. bugs yeah, right as gods you know what i mean so yeah i don't know they could be the same they could be the same thing in different forms or it could be just another fucking weird right goddess thing could also be like a different interpretation of the same um yeah yeah exactly so heka emin ra kind of sounds like it's something else that we've heard. What, Hecate? Yeah. That's actually the first thing I thought of. Yeah. Huh. So is Heka Emin-Ra Hecate? And if that's true, then is the black goddess Hecate? Because remember in Wake the Devil, we see that face, the first, we see that black goddess right. scary face that I pointed out in the last episode. We see it when Hecate first appears to Hellboy. Right. In the third wish, we see the Bog Roosh is talking about all the other witches. Yeah. And she's talking about... The Baba Yaga, she's talking about Hecate. Yeah. And she's talking about, so, you know, they can't all be the same. They've, there's got to be a bunch of different ones. Right, this, right. This might not even be a goddess. This might be some sort of just a, it's a weird monster. I don't okay. know. I don't know. I'm just trying to draw that parallel sure. between the, what we found out happened in the island and then what this story is kind of telling here. Hellboy says, well, yeah, you listen to a talking snake and there's going to be trouble. <laughs> And the pale woman says, we shall see, for I believe that serpent still lives. We see below in the ship, the dead man who spoke out against the captain and got shot rises. He kills the boat mortician, who's a bit of a dumbass, right? 
Because, like, this guy's got his head smashed in, and then when he stands up, he's like, oh, look at you, ha, 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 up and about. It's like, come on, dude. (laughs) Well, that might not even be, like, a mortician mortician. Like, often on pirate ships, I think that duties like this were just given to the person most qualified, Uh, quote, unquote. You know what I mean? So he might have just been, like, a blacksmith. He's there to pull everyone's tooth if they get, you know, fucked up tooth or something. Right, right. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, but... If somebody gets shot in the head and they just sit back up, yeah, don't sit there and go, whoa, look at you. Hey, you never know. You never know. I like this ominous shot of just his eyes right oh, there. Yeah, That's a sure. really good shot. And that would make me nope the F out. You know, if I saw <laughs> if I saw those eyes like that, I'd be like, uh-uh. Back on the top deck, Hellboy tells the woman that they should just turn the boat around. She says they are on the brink of solving mysteries that have plagued us since the dawn of mankind. She continues that she sought her from all over the globe and when she's found when she speaks to me all the old superstitions fear of the dark banished forever meanwhile this mortician guy or whatever whatever whoever he is he gets killed by the zombie man why does she think that i'm sorry i mean interrupt you but why does she think that i don't know it doesn't I mean, make sense to me she she's been seeking out this heka emenra yeah, and, and for some reason she thinks that this is this is what what they found dumb well she's part of the heliopic brotherhood they're trying to shed light on truth yeah i guess so but i don't know it's the same fucking stupid like not that it's i mean it's cool i would i would want to do that just because it would be cool to see a bunch of fucking monsters and weird shit but why does she think that all the fear of the dark and the superstitions are going to go away like wouldn't they be compounded well because i guess like all knowledge would be revealed like you wouldn't have anything to be scared of because you would know what it is i don't fucking want that (laughs) well i I just thought nobody wants that i just thought it was more like your fear would be disappeared uh, be banished from the dark right if you know what it is it's not like the monsters are going to go if you know what it is you're not going to be afraid of it anymore but she was fucking wrong yeah (laughs) (laughs) and we get some really cool flashbacks of of her all her missions and and those other flashbacks that we got were really cool too are like seeing the hyperborean city and seeing all these other like yeah, expeditions that, that cool. we're kind of seeing gianni does a great job of just um all those panels are like different colors too so it kind of like different tones yeah yeah i really like that and i like this when they're in the desert the weird um whatever monolith that comes up out of yeah. the sand in the background and then you can tell that they're in the wherever the arctic or something yeah yeah i love that the dog comes yipping up and hellboy can already tell that something bad is about to go down and the zombie crashes through on this next panel and i just love the motion of this it just looks these three panels and then it kind of first this like decapitated head comes bumping along and the dog kind of reacts to that i like that little detail of the dog like kind of going back and then like looking at it while this zombie just bursts out and uh, it just looks really cool as they're fighting it there's a lot of good jack kirby-esque kind of motion but in that really detailed gianni style it's a great one of the yeah sorry i didn't mean it's a great artist the crew members say he's gone balmy oh yeah so i i kind of looked that up it just kind of means you've gone crazy (laughs) (laughs) didn't we the say said that in a previous story that we read did they i don't know I don't know. I'll have to go balmy. I don't yeah. know if that's come up before. I would have probably looked it up if it had, but maybe. I don't know. The captain says, half my earnings to the man that fells him. And in all the fighting, the captain drops his keys, and young William is able to grab them to unchain Hellboy. When Hellboy, like, after the kid unlocks him and Hellboy breaks out of the chains, I mean, the way that that looks is just, 
amazing. There's like yeah. all the chains flying apart, and he's just like, oh. the way all that, right <laughs> then, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the way that he draws um, water and all these waves, he makes it look so effortless. Yeah, but you really get the sense that the ship is kind of crashing There's around. There's so much motion. Yeah, the waves actually mm-hmm. give the impression that they're waves. It's really yeah, amazing. it's really beautiful. Don't forget to point out we got the right hand of doom boom number nine right here. Oh, yeah, there we go. As Hellboy uh, bashes that zombie with his stone hand. Hellboy wraps a chain around the zombie and throws him overboard. Okay, there you go. So that this is all really good. And again, um, so just, does Hellboy get half the captain's rations now? Oh yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, he did fail him, so he earns half of the captain's earnings, I guess. The crew just watches Hellboy, and the captain says, "Can't blame him for being fidgety." It's the sort of dark black night when Seaman's yarns come true. We get some good sailor talk here as they batten down the hatches and all that. Um, as the sea gets more um, uproarious and we can also hear something calling as well. She says, hear that, Captain? She beckons. There's a part in Moby Dick where Gregory Peck says that. He beckons. Yeah. Yeah. A huge wave hits and Hellboy narrowly saves the pale woman from falling overboard and the crew hear this loud sound. The pale woman says, What are you all standing around for? You heard her. And just then the ship runs aground rocky shoals. Again, the water here, the waves and everything. It's yeah. It's really masterful. And this, this uh, all the little line, all the little detail yeah. in the sky when it runs aground is all just really amazing to look at. And that bolt of lightning is just slick. Yeah. I really wonder if he's that, because this, <laughs> this whole panel could be... And etching. I would, yeah, buy, I would buy that. It really does. It really does look like that. Hellboy checks up on William and Master Kip. Just as the captain calls it safe haven, we get an awesome tentacle, and these large jawed sea creatures infest the ship. And I just really love these panels. It's almost like a weird Where's Waldo with all the little sea action from above. <laughs> Hellboy says, If this is a dream, I wouldn't mind waking up right about now. What do you think of all these sea monsters? They're great. I love them, and they're horrible. <laughs> they look like they're the kind of monsters that hang out at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, they're really. so awesome. Hellboy and the crew are increasingly outnumbered by the monsters, and I love this giant crab that's kind of on top of this guy <laughs> taking him out. Hellboy takes a broken ship part and just starts battering all the sea creatures, saving Master Kip in the process. Remember that Hellboy loves dogs. Yeah. In the midst of all this, the woman tells the captain that the crew need to light the beacon. And she's just so delusional right here. She's like, how come there nobody's helping me? And they're all just getting eaten. Yeah. And they're getting <laughs> killed by all these monsters. Stop standing around getting <laughs> killed, eaten by monsters, and do what I tell you to. Yes. She's very, yeah, one-track mind over here. It kind of reminds me of Von Klemp a little bit. Like, Von Klemp was almost like, I sure. don't even care. You know, we're all going to go out. I just want to see the worm. I just fucking yeah, see it. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of that kind of madness. Totally. The captain says, you, you're the true Jonah so this is a long-established expression among sailors to mean a sailor or passenger whose presence on board brings bad luck and oh, endangers shit. the ship. And so we see a tentacle coming up just as he's saying that. I did not know that. And then yeah. also like a reference to Jonah and the Bible, Jonah and the fish. I think so. I, I'm yeah. not really too familiar with that. Yeah, I don't know anything about Well, that. it's like in the home biblical story, like Jonah was trying to escape from... Huh something and you know there was all this bad weather and they're like you're the cause of it you know uh, and they threw him overboard and he got swallowed by the fish oh really yeah okay oh that lines up yeah huh. that that works really well thank you for that little detail the woman totally dismisses the captain's death saying you are now one with the sea 
and she's frustrated again that nobody helps her. And so she lights the beacon. Hellboy spears a zombie to the mast. Yeah, we get this really great reveal of the what she's been trying to beckon on the next page. The woman says, Heka Emin Ra, the serpent from the beginning of the world. See, I am not afraid. I am your friend. Please open my eyes. I want to understand. I want the truth. And the truth, that kind of reminds me again of the island, you know, sure. the the, mm-hmm. the guy that got infected with all of Hellboy's Absolutely, blood. He yeah. kept talking about the truth, and he showed us what, what that truth was. And she immediately is like, no. Yeah, but I, I, I don't blame her for wanting the truth, because that was pretty badass. It was we badass, all stuff. but then it's immediate. Her reaction is immediate. <laughs> well, yeah, and she's like, oh, wait, you're not what I... Yeah. So she realized, and I think that's kind of coming back to what you were saying, like, I think she thought it was Heka Emin Ra, but I think it's probably just one of the augur him. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just another example of don't call ancient monsters from <laughs> from beyond. How many Which times have we learned? Truth. Which is a very specific avenue of you know be careful what you ask for. Right. And so she's just immediately gone with a snap. Yeah, the creature who I assume, like I said, is probably one of the Ogdru Hem, one of the 369 sleeping children of the Ogdru Jihad that we also learned about last week. See, that's what I was thinking. Like, <laughs> this is probably just uh, some kind of ancient, horrible, interdimensional yeah. monster. I love this shot as all the sea monsters go back into the sea. Yeah. And Hellboy says, all in all, that could have gone a whole lot worse. And we've seen a lot worse when he's had to fight these Ogdrim oh, yeah. before in these they last couple of They just piece the fuck out of there. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. gone. They're done. The boy asks if it's really over, and Hellboy says, looks like it. What do you guys think? And what do you what do you guys think of this last scene? Oh, this is man. truly creepy. Yeah, it's intense. I was kind of expecting something like it, too, when he first came on the ship. Sure, <laughs> right, yeah. Right, yeah. It has that kind of dream quality since the beginning. This panel where all the skeletons are pointing at him. The little kid on his shoulder also turns into a skeleton. We get Master Kip at one final woof. Oh man, the skeleton dog. I mean, he's still like he's he's still so cute, but he's yeah. a skeleton. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it's horrible. And then truly horrifying as Hellboy starts to crumble, his expression on his face uh, is really just kind of terrifying. And then he wakes up and he sees the Rebecca crashed on these yes. same fucking rocks. Alone, alone, all, all alone, alone on a wide, wide sea, and never a saint took pity on my soul in agony. The many men so beautiful, and they all dead did lie, and a thousand, thousand slimy things lived on, and so did I. And Hellboy sells off. He sees that. Uh, he sees that ship. So yeah, it's like I think it's like another live haunting, kind of like in the chain coffin or the island, which sure. we just read. It's a very Freddy moment. You yeah. wake up and you're like, wait. What was it? Uh, yeah. The little music starts to come in. Um, so I wanted to talk about this. We were looking at it a little bit um, before we started recording. Recently, there was a Kickstarter for the Hellboy Into the Silent Sea Studio Edition. I unfortunately was not able to contribute to the Kickstarter because I was broke at the time, but I did eventually buy the book, although I didn't get all the bonus stuff i think people who did the kickstarter so check this out the people that did the kickstarter they got these signed prints from gianni and they also got a hardcover gianni version of call of cthulhu wow i would love to get that but i did eventually get the into the science studio edition it's an oversized work of beauty and you see gianni's thumbnail drawings his preliminary sketches and his finished inked work I want to give a little bit of details about it, but I don't want to spoil all of the behind the scenes stuff because I really think that you should get the book yourself if you can afford it or if you have an opportunity to. But I wanted to share a little bit of the trivia. 
Gianni's original pencils are not inked directly, but placed on a light box, traced onto a fresh four-ply Strathmore, removed from the light box, and inked. And he refers to the original drawing as he's inking. Uh, Gianni was worried that he couldn't draw Hellboy, and he told Mignola, the comic's not going to look like your work, and Mignola responded, I'll be disappointed if it does. Right. Gianni worked with ship model builders to draw the Rebecca, so he actually had ship model builders like show them these intricate model ships and then he sat there and kind of like oh that's pretty awesome yeah to reduce problems in drawing the ship he decided that it wouldn't have sails so that's why it doesn't have any sails Um, but that did add to the ethereal quality of it because help was like i noticed your uh ship doesn't have any fucking sails (laughs) it kind of goes along with that ghost quality that's great uh gianni referred to mignola's work to recreate the scenes from the third wish in the island gianni said where he uses one strong ink line, I wind up using ten. <laughs> yeah. The Woman in Black is inspired by Gustave Doré's illustrations for the Rime of the Ancient Mariner, whose quotes bookend the story. And there's a specific uh, one, and I'll post it online. Now, were those those were etchings? Yeah, I those think so. actually were yeah. etchings. So, maybe so that's that where does he not surprise me at all. Yeah, book. absolutely. All right. Next, we're going to talk about The Crooked Man. The Crooked Man was published as a three-part miniseries from July to September 2008. It was written by Mignola, pencils by Richard Corbin, who we last saw on Being Human, colored by Dave Stewart and lettered by Clem Robbins. We open up on the Appalachian Mountains in 1958. Hellboy has been called to a woman who is afflicted with some kind of paralysis due to witchcraft. the bird is a black-capped chickadee, I believe. Thank you for that. Yeah, our resident Hellboy birdwatcher. <laughs> it is suspected since the villagers saw the woman fighting with Cora Fisher, a known witch in the area, that that's the reason why this woman has been afflicted. If you look at this while they're explaining that, the chicken's looking in the window. Oh, yeah, that's right. Super cute. <laughs> I didn't notice that. That's awesome. That'd be the same Cora Fisher that lived up on Turkey Creek, a voice says, and we meet Tom Farrell, who appears to have been long missing from the town. Tom says he was passing by and heard voices and found a witch ball on the doorstep. Mm. And Tom says he knows where Cora Fisher lives. And he'll take Hellboy there, but first he wants to see his dad. The villagers tell Tom that his dad has been missing ever since Tom left. And I like how they say... He weren't never much good. And Tom just says, like, I guess that's true. So I was like, man, that's that's kind of cold. Yeah. I know. As somebody who grew up in, like, Alabama, I was just hearing that. I could hear, like, that redneck drawl. Yeah. Totally. You know, he weren't never much good. <laughs> Tom says that he's been gone for 20 years. Hellboy says he finished some stuff down south and thought he'd wander for a while. Tom mentions that he saw Baby Hellboy on the cover of Life magazine back in the late 40s. And this little smile, this little panel where Tom is smiling, he kind of, you know that X-Files episode where yes. Luke Wilson yes. is the, is it Luke? It is, it is Luke, Luke Wilson, Luke. yes. He's like the redneck, like, That reminded sheriff. me of that, too. He kind of looks like him there. Well, that's when Mulder's telling the story. That's when he Mulder. He has those goofy buck teeth. Yeah. Have you seen this episode, Aubrey? <laughs> I had no idea Luke Wilson was in an episode of the X-Files. Oh, man. It's one of the best episodes. It's my, I think it's my favorite episode. It's not but... a mythology episode. It's like a monster of the week, but it's so good. And it also has that kid yeah, in it. From the Sandlot? Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. I hate to I hate to assign that to him because I know that he's probably not wouldn't he's like that. If we, I right. can't remember his name well, right now. But Anyway, basically, uh, Scully and Mulder are recounting 
events that they saw differently. Yeah. And when Scully best. when Scully sees Luke Wilson, he's all handsome like he normally is. And when Mulder is telling his version of the story, he has these giant buck teeth. And he's like a goofy dumbass. Yeah, so but he kind of reminds really – that's good. how he looks. That's like how he Tom looks. Farrell. I was like, oh, that kind of – it reminded me of that. Anyway, I also thought of track. that. Anyway, yeah. You're going to have to let me know what episode that is. Oh, you got to watch it. It's one of the best ones. It, so. it is. And you it's, don't need to really know much yeah. about it other than they have a quirky relationship, and it's great. Oh, I mean, I, I've watched the X Files here and there. I've never, sure. I've never fallen down the rabbit hole of the X Files, but I've seen enough of it. We could have and a whole other. What? I mean, I'm yeah, yeah, we, yeah, so obsessed with that show. Anyway, Hellboy tells Tom some of his story, some of his origins, and Tom says that it's fine that Hellboy was found in a church because everyone knows the devil can't set foot in a church. I'm so I'm sorry to do another little detail sidetrack here. No, please. I love the There's, details. You can really get a clear... This this artist gives you his take on Hellboy's feet. And I always love oh, seeing yeah. Hellboy's little cloven hooves. Yeah. And you can see the boot doesn't really cover that. So is yeah. it like a sandal or is it... It almost makes me think it's like a boot with the just the tip cut off. Yeah, like a tactical... Oh, I was thinking it's more like a, like a, yeah, like a spat. <laughs> Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. so it's very, it's just an interesting, you even see the bottom of it here. It's just really interesting. One thing it's that... It's got a sole. It's got a, yeah, like a boot sole. On the heel. Yeah. So that's really interesting. Mm. I wonder if it bothers him. Does he get sand in there, little rocks and stuff? Well, they're hooves, so I guess like they're guess used to... it's not to, really affected They're used it. to being on the ground, I guess. Huh, interesting. But even horses have like horseshoes and stuff, so... I don't know. Do you think that he? Do you think that he puts on his own horseshoes like hammers? Well, horses. Well, horses don't have cloven feet. He's got. Oh, clo- yeah, he's got yeah, cloven yeah. hooves. Right. Anyway, that was just a little detail that I enjoyed. No, something else that I'll that I'll bring up a little Gary Gianni detail from the last story. Gary Gianni, he said that he was happy that Hellboy was tied up for most of the into the Silent Sea because he didn't have to draw his feet. That's and great. then when Hellboy breaks out, he was like, "Okay, I now I have to draw his feet." <laughs> well, and also on this page. You see the shadow of an owl. I'm not sure it could be a great horned owl, but because I cannot see any of the feathers, that is just a guess. Right, That's my best right. guess. The little raccoon skull hanging in the tree is weird. Yeah. Oh, is that what that is, a raccoon skull? I don't know. Just judging by like the size of it, mm. it could be a raccoon. I was, I was I thinking know. it was just like a squirrel skull. Mm. It's, it's a little big for a squirrel. I don't know. Right. Tom also mentions that he's seen the devil and it doesn't look like Hellboy. At Cora's place now, they all look around. They find some more witch balls. Tom says that he's known Cora since they were kids. They also find a Bible with an X on it and Cora Fisher's name written on the cover and a Mm. bug encased in a bottle, which Tom explains is her demon familiar, to which Hellboy responds, I hate those. (laughs) And uh, so a familiar is a low-ranking demon that assumed an animal shape, such as a toad, dog, insect, or black cat are the most common depictions. The bug talks to Tom and it says, he knows, he knows you're coming, he's waiting. And that's truly creepy too, that weird bug in the in the jar. It's just um, pretty unsettling the way that he draws that. And speaking of unsettling, Hellboy finds Cora's skin. And it's just kind of like laying out empty on the bed. That was pretty gruesome. Uh, no, I was just going to say it's just the way it looks all deflated and just looks creepy as yeah. Super gross. Yeah. Super gross. They decide to wait for her to return. While waiting, Tom tells Hellboy his origins. Tom met a woman named Elfie Kolb when he was 14 years old, and she taught him to be a witch. 
Yeah. One day he boiled. No, that's not. Well, she taught him some of those things, and one day he boiled a black cat that he, a dead black cat that he had found. And I like these shots where he's doing it because he's. He seems like so disgusted with himself. Like even as he's like stirring and he's like looking yeah, the other. Yeah, he should be. And t- he took that mess out to wash in the creek. He was told by Elfie that whatever bone he was holding when he saw the devil would be his lucky bone. Tom says he thought the devil would look like Hellboy, but he was actually Miser Witkins, the crooked man. Witkins lived in a place called the Hurricane, played both sides of the war between the states for money. He references the revolution and the British, so I assume he's talking about the American Revolution. And Witkins was later hanged for his crimes. But that chief devil in hell sent him back to hoard souls now instead of gold. And I wanted to talk about this a little bit. Hold on a second. From where he is and what time period, if he says revolution, he's most definitely talking about the American Revolution. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. that's what I thought. So, anyway, I wanted to talk about this really quick. This panel where... Tom is washing the the all the mess out and he sees the devil, right? So I bought the library edition of this and I was here one night in the living room and I had and it was dark and I was listening to headphones reading this library edition and I was listening to um 9 inch nails ghosts uh. which is like all these different instrumental tracks love that have it it, on vinyl yeah and it's great to listen to when you're listening to comics because there's no it's just different music right and i had it on random so it was just like playing whatever and sometimes i'll do that you know if i'm listening if i'm reading comics i i like to have this stuff going on right when i turned this page to where he first sees the crooked man this song came on like almost in sync and it scared the shit out of me (laughs) oh shit It's a uh, uh, man. Uh, that would Ghost be very unsettling. Three? Yeah, it is Ghost Three. I w- I wrote it down in case you want to listen to it. I was going to try to insert it in, but I don't want to get sued by Trent Reznor. No, or I can like see that. how that would be very unsettling. Well, 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 hold on. Uh, when the album was released, it was self-released by Nine Inch Nails, and there is a Creative Commons license on it where you can use it for fair use type stuff. Oh, okay. So, so then, yeah, and I think it's also if it's under a certain amount of seconds, if it's like under six or. It's like five or six seconds of it. Yeah, I've heard that that's a myth, but I don't. Oh, know. I, I, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Then. I, well, I've heard that they could still get you, but I, but if you say that it's for educational purposes, which sure. this is kind of like educational purposes, because it's just a book club, and we're yeah. just talking about. Where I'm not, I'm not trying to make money by using Nine Inch Nails as no. my but theme no. song or whatever. But no, seriously, check it out on the uh, creative. If they because when it was released, it was under a Creative Commons license to be able to use. Well, uh, and you're you're using it in a creative way. I don't think Trent Reznor yeah. would have a problem with that. Yeah. Well, anyway, but that. When I was, I always have that moment like burned into my memory because it was so affecting to me to see that the would crooked be very man. unsettling. And then for this music, this kind of music, it just it just really creeped me out yeah, at the time. Yeah, absolutely. So that track is from Nine Inch Nails, Ghosts One Through Four, and the track is called Three Ghosts One. Especially if you're if you're sitting, you know, in a darkened room, it's late at night, you're by yourself. It's yeah, it, that would I can see how that would be very. It, I didn't like it. <laughs> I didn't like it after that. Tom ran home after seeing the crooked man, and he saw a frog on his front porch, which he knew to be his demon familiar. 
So then he just ran away, eventually fighting the, in the Pacific War, which was part of World War II. He got through the war without his scrape, and he suspects it was because of the bone, although he never used its power against anyone. Soon Hellboy and Tom witness a raccoon come through the window, and it enters Cora Fisher's skin and starts to transform into her. What did y'all think of this this weird scene? Horrible. Yeah, it's pretty creepy the way it's all like cracking and everything. It's just, uh, ugh. Tom confronts Cora, and she says that her husband died and all her babies died, so she took up with some witches. Is that a good reason, you think, to take up with some witches? Well, I, my whole thing about this entire story is, yes, it is good to take up with witches, no, this is not what witches are. <laughs> From outside, a voice calls and Elfie Kolb greets Tom riding a withered horse. Tom mentions that Elfie hasn't aged and Elfie tells Cora that he might want to have some words with you. She tells Tom that he knows you've come back, he's waiting for you, and she tells Hellboy that he's not afraid of you. She tells Tom that she has a present for him and she flies off the horse and says, I've been riding him pretty hard since you left. And Hellboy's just like, crap, he knows that this is going to be terrible. And we get a pretty sad scene here. Tom removes the bridle from the horse, and it turns into his dad, all old and withered. And he immediately dies after saying, Tom, you come home. So yeah, that was a pretty, pretty awful reveal there. Horrible. It was terrible, but I have to say, the way that it was drawn, the way, you know, taking off the bridle and turning yeah. back into the guy, I was just like, what is going on here? Yeah, that is really yeah. cool. Tom asks Cora if Reverend Watts is still up in the hurricane, but she warns Tom that he's up there waiting for you. Tom says that he's returned to have it out with the devil, but first he has to bury his father in church ground. They get a sheet, and Tom asks Hellboy if he would come along, and Hellboy says wouldn't miss it. And Tom also tells Cora that she's coming too. He kind of voluntells her that she's going to go, right? Yeah. And she doesn't seem too happy about it. And we get some of these nice mood shots, too. We get the owl. It kind of just cuts to the owl. It kind of reminds me of Mignola style a little bit. Tom says they will make that bastard let Cora go because bad luck drove her to being a witch. As Tom, Cora, and Hellboy make their way to church, Tom tells Hellboy, I guess you got your own burden to carry. You don't feel it yet, asks Tom. Guess not, says Hellboy. Cora says, you will. And so we, we kind of already know a lot about Hellboy's burdens. Tom says, one day that thing you're carrying is going to make these troubles of mine look like a tin can full of pennies. <laughs> As we continue to walk, Cora starts to get rattled. She says she can't go any further because she's afraid of the ones that lurk down in the mines, the Melungian witches. So I tried to look this up a little bit. So I'm just going to read this. There's this book. It's called Comics and the U.S. South by Costello and Witted. And uh, I found this little synopsis from one of their chapters. The Melungians are a group of people shrouded in mystery and mythology. They have been described by Wayne Winkler, an author who has studied the group and has written his own books on them, as a group comprised of a complicated and contested constellation of races and ethnicities, including whites, African Americans, and local indigenous tribes. The book examines how Mignola demystifies Appalachian witchcraft lore and looks at claims that Mignola was guilty of racial stereotyping or egregious misrepresentation of a historical Melungian people. This book argues that Hellboy actually undermines and refutes these stereotypes by situating them in a complex narrative of history, myth, and memory, as well as giving a voice to a people who have long been neglected in official histories. So yeah, this th panel here. Yeah, I thought that was that's kinda... that's not acceptable. This panel that depicts the 
what whatever these people the Melungian, the Melungian witches. witches. Yeah. This is horrible, and I I did not like that. I did not like the depiction of the Yeah, and so I just wanted to kind of read that. This book kind of says both sides of it, I guess, in this But Mignola didn't fucking draw that. Right, but he wrote the story, I guess. He wrote the script, right. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't really know how all that gets sorted out. I know he does give sometimes some concept sketches, but I don't know if he, what his direction was in his uh, scripts. So these Melengians are a special kind of evil who Tom once saw fly into the mines to eat a hundred men who were trapped down there. The Melengians call out to Korra, and the group suddenly realizes that it's turned to nighttime, even though it shouldn't be past noon. Tom says that they are in the hurricane now. They're on the devil's time. And Korra starts having a real hard time as they get closer to the church. The Melengians continue to call out her name, and this giant, like, bug crawls out of her mouth what did you think about that oh yeah that's very pleasant no it's horrible all of this is horrible (laughs) the expression on her face as it comes out is just oh it's just very just kind of tragic and horrible and she soon explodes releasing this mass of slimy pugs and it's truly horrific i love the splut as hellboy crushes one in the right hand of doom right hand of doom splut hashtag (laughs) (laughs) and hellboy is overtaken by the bugs And when he's overtaken, he kind of gets swarmed by them, and he has a vision. He remembers what Tom said earlier. Everyone knows the devil can't set foot in a church. And a hooded figure says, you don't really believe that, do you? And it kind of, like, turns around to reveal, like, this horrible skeleton that's, like, crawling with all these monsters, these weird insects and bats. And it kind of reminds me of Creepshow. You know, the, the, the Creepshow comic, Bernie Wrightson? Wait, the comic or the movie? I guess both. Did he do the Did he do the art for the movie too? I know he did the comic. Uh, I'm not really sure to be honest with you, but um, all of this art style kind of reminds me of the um, whole creep show, yeah. Tales from the Crypt, EC comics yeah. kind of horror comics that were banned after Seduction of the Innocents. Right. Hellboy freaks out, but now he's by Tom, and Tom says that he's worried that he used that cat bone to get them out of there. Elfie Cobra appears and taunts Tom again. Hellboy tells her to shut up and shoots at her. After missing her, she laughs. And Hellboy says, I kind of wish I'd taken that shot of her back when she was sitting on that horse. Oh, sorry. I mean your dad. Yeah. <laughs> Harsh. They get to the church, and Corbin does a good job of making sure that it's nice and creepy. Um, really good atmosphere as we, we pull up to this uh, dilapidated church. They meet a blind priest inside who already knows Tom Farrell because she told me. A girl who had just come in, but they don't see her. The priest says maybe she's a ghost, and it is. It's previously exploded by bugs, Cora Fisher. (laughs) Hellboy says, there you go. You couldn't save her life, but you did something. Otherwise, she wouldn't be in the church. The priest says the devil got her body, but didn't get her soul. Outside, lots of witches have started to gather, Mm. and the priest says that they can't come onto the grounds or use their magic there because it's consecrated land. Tom thinks that he deserves all this for what he's done. He feels the guilt of his father's death and Cora Fisher's death. Plus, he used that lucky bone. The depiction of the the Christian church being the, like the oppressed party by all these like very powerful witches who just want to hurt everyone and do horrible things. Like, it's so backwards. Right. It's the other fucking way around. Where all these pagan cultures were absolutely extinguish 
by the most violent force in the history of the entire fucking world. I don't know. Anyway, I promised I wouldn't. I promised I wouldn't go off on this. Right. So I'm not. Gonna well, and I to. think it's uh, just like come on. The, well, and it's all you know, like all the other Mignola stories that we've been reading. They're all based on folklore. So he's pulling it off. Right, from, and it's a yeah, it's a very from, specific folklore. Yeah. There, he does manage to cover a lot of folklore. That's you know, Hellboy's working alongside these various shamanistic entities to sure. yeah to get something done. But I just I found the whole uh, the central theme of the story to be very eye rolly just i guess that's just me personally i don't know no 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 i mean yeah no yeah, please you, know. you, you, you it, it's a book club you come back and you say what you thought about right. the story yeah it just it's, it seems a little it's buried in a very specific uh culture that i've long ago seen the matrix like kind of a deal uh, yeah. where i can't unsee it it's i'm just kind of looking sure. at it like all right sure whatever i don't know for me it kind of reminds me of like because i did grow up in um alabama the deep south and they had a lot of stories like this, you know. They yeah. always said that the devil was not going to look like, you know, the horns and the tail and all that. Which He's is a very like, interesting, and, um, yeah. But I mean, in the, this whole like, I mean, this really feels like it definitely could fit into that story. Yeah. But of course, you know, I've also opened my eyes to right. It. And it's <laughs> and, no, I, you know, I, I do like the idea. Like the crooked man thing is really mm-hmm. interesting. Like he's not going to look the way you fucking think he is. It's going to be a lot fucking scarier right. <laughs> than mm-hmm. than your stereotypical depiction of whatever that your baddie is right. that you're yeah. facing Boogeyman. yeah and, and you know and I, I wouldn't actually call these people witches i mean these would be kind of like what a what somebody from the south southern would call a witch but they're probably you know just more in line <laughs> with evil forces and not yeah. an actual real witch right and i just yeah and i don't mean to it's just a very like i, I get kind of a little stomach pain looking at this like I'm the preacher and I will save all of you. And it's like, typically the way that's gone is the other way around, right, but sure, right. go off. <laughs> anyway, yeah. I apologize to our <laughs> listeners. I'll shut the fuck up now. No, no, you're you're all good. It's good to hear all the perspectives on this issue. It's the, not even it, really an issue. It's supposed to be just like a fun little horror story. And I'm like bringing all this sociopolitical bullshit to it. Well, so I, <laughs> I could stand to shut the fuck up no, a little bit more it, probably, it, but you know. It's all good. I, I, I welcome all of it. <laughs> And I'd love to hear if it, what our readers think. I mean, what our listeners think about any of this that we're talking about. Please chime in and let us know. Well, there's also that, you know, we had talked about it a little bit earlier of like the indigenous people being villainized. And you used to see a lot of movies where like the savages were coming for all these wonderful Christian families when really it was like the other way around right. where all these Christians just kind of invite, well, the, you know, the settlers, quote unquote, would colonize everything and drive the indigenous peoples off and murder them by the hundreds of thousands. And it's just sort of a, I don't know, it's just sort of a weird, it's always weird to go back into one of those stories where you know you're supposed to be rooting for one side. Right. But the the villainous quote unquote side has been disguised as villainous. And sure. it's just a really weird, I don't know, it's weird. Going back to the story and talking about Elfie Kolb, uh, I thought it was funny. The priest. Is it Cobb or Kolb? Is it Cobb? I thought it was Kolb's K-O-L-B. K-O-L-B, okay. Yeah, I don't know. But he also says about her, I knew her since she was little, and she weren't never any good. So uh, I says it again. Kinda, yeah. She weren't ever any good. As they talk, Hellboy's had enough, and he's ready to go out there and start fighting. But the priest stops Hellboy, and a voice says, Let him go, old man. I ain't afraid of him, and I sure as hell ain't afraid of you. And we reveal the crooked man come to collect. That's slack John, the eye, the upturned, that's just especially off-putting to me. And as we end the second issue, we have this little witch ball short. So this was at the, this was the last page of the second issue, kind of just like a, 
just kind of tying up that issue, I guess, which was thought, I thought was just a little, you know, funny little interesting thing. Yeah. The crooked man confronts Tom. He says that they had a deal, and even though he didn't use uh, the power, he still has to pay for it. This goes on for a while, back and forth, and the priest tells the crooked man that whatever mistakes were made, this boy come home to the Lord now. Hellboy says, that's it, and he goes out to start the fight. The crooked man raises these fence posts out of the ground, and they fly through the air and stab Hellboy, throwing him backwards. And all the other witches kind of laugh at this. The priest confronts the crooked man, and we get a really good scene. I really like this scene as the crooked man attempts to seduce the priest by offering him money... And then his youth and then his eyesight. Corbin does a really good job, I think, with the emotion of all of this. Um, I love how he covers his eyes after realizing that he can see. So he sure. was blind and now he's like, but then he's like still not going to see. So he covers his eyes. I just I just really like that little detail. The the way that he drew the de-aging <clears throat> process was yeah. really effective. I thought he did a great job. With I that. love this scene. It's probably one of my favorite parts of this story. The Crooked Man also tries to use this beautiful woman to seduce the priest. But like most beautiful women in this series, they end up being dirty skeletons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The witches start to call out more skeletons and they're saying all their names. I wonder if these names are people that they know or like, you know, I wonder what. Yeah, it's a small town. Yeah. So but like, I wonder like if, Aubrey was saying, those those backwoods but, sounds. Are... No, but I wonder if they're Easter eggs to actual people. Oh, yeah. That, like, I don't know. The artist knows or. The letterer or Mignola or whatever. <laughs> like it's their friends and their friends' wives and yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like, damn it, why'd you put me in there as a drunk? <laughs> <laughs> we get some great action shots as Hellboy and Tom fight the undead. And I love this, uh, the priest again. I, I love coming back to him. He asked the Lord to take his eyes away so he won't have to see any more of this. I don't want to see no more of this. It's yeah, great. Yeah. I love that. And then he says, thank you, Lord, with a little tear after he turns old and loses his eyesight again. Which is a good little a good little expression. Yeah. The crooked man tells Hellboy that he can set foot in a church because he's a special devil. Mm. One meant for great earth shaken things. Hellboy just tells him to shut up. This is kind of what Hellboy says whenever he just hears something he doesn't want. He just goes, Shut up. It's great. And the crooked man continues he tells Hellboy to kill Tom and get that lucky cat bone and then they'll have a good old time. And the priest realizes that the crooked man is just after the bone. It's part of his power. So the priest squeezes the Holy Spirit into the bone. Oh, wait. Well, before that, I like that we get a little flashback. We get to see Corbin draw baby Hellboy appearing in East Bromwich. Corblin. I, I really like that. So I love the priest dialogue when he's kind of squeezing it. He says, I'm all fired up. I'm going to crack it. I'm going to bust that evil wide open. I'm going to squeeze it, and I'm going to squeeze the Holy Spirit into this thing. I like that. I, I just I just really, and I can almost hear him saying it, you know, in a very sure. kind of like Southern, you know, priest uh, on the, the proselytizing pulpit. proselytizing Yeah, there you go. Voice, yeah. Tom says that he can feel it too, and the priest takes the bone and a shovel, and he scrapes a fiery cross into the shovel with the holy power of the bone. And he gives it to Hellboy, and he says, you know what to do. <laughs> and I just love the motion again, the kinetic energy of Hellboy just jumping through the air and smashing the crooked man over the head with this thing. Yeah, that's a great little shot. All the witches poof out of sight, or they run away, and Hellboy is just left smoldering on the floor. Well, that was something. This is the same thing he said at the end of the island after all that crazy shit happened. Yeah. It's like, well, that was something. His, all his little catchphrases are very... Like, Damn, that yeah. was some. <laughs> <laughs> Succinct. 
Now morning, they bury Tom's father, and Tom and Hellboy go to give the lucky bone back to the crooked man once and for all. Tom explains why this part of the Appalachia is called the Hurricane. Indians said that there's ghosts and critters up there, older than the flood, and they find this giant mansion. They go inside, and let's talk about what they find inside. Uh, uh, what did What did you think of this reveal? Horrible. <laughs> Horrible. Kind of reminds me of The Thing a little bit. John Carpenter's The Thing, and it's just kind of this mass bit, of, yeah. like, just, it just looks like bones and gross tentacle claws, Teeth eyeballs. And yeah, and it's just like a weird mass of just horrible, horrible, gruesomeness. It's like what somebody would make a crab if they've never seen a crab right. before. <laughs> it's a grisly fucking sight. Yeah. It says, I know what you want. You've come for my gold, but you can't have it. It's mine. Ugh. And Tom just throws the bone at it, and it just kind of all disappears. There's like a whoosh, and then it's gone. And it's just left, um, everything's all decayed now and broken. Tom says the gold was the souls that the crooked man had control over, and he wonders if the souls were freed or sent to hell. This kind mm, of reminds me yeah. of the bog rouge, yeah, and w- uh, the clearing of Davy Jones' locker, all, gonna, yeah. all the souls that she had trapped, and they, they, they got to go to heaven, and so... Hopefully the same thing happened here. I don't, you know, I don't know. We can only hope. We can only hope. Well, I mean, if you're making a deal with a demon, you know, do you really belong in heaven? Oh, yeah, I guess so. Well, you never know. I mean, I think some of them were probably caught up in a... In a bad situation. In a bad situation. You never know. Good good point. And I kind of wish that they had shown the mansion again, like, all dilapidated. You kind of get a little corner here where they're walking down the steps, so I would assume... yeah, that's all... I would assume that the mansion is all decayed now, too, but we don't really get a a shot of that. I mean, who wants to draw all that? He's right. I'm not drawing that again. (laughs) No, yeah. Here nearby, they discover Effie Kolb, now aged since the Crooked Man lost his power. And Tom pulls out the bridle he that she used to bind his dad. He says, I could give it back to you, I guess. They turn her into a horse with this bridle, and Hellboy says, I like her this way. Tom wonders where he can get some paint. And on this last panel, we just see the horse uh, standing there, and it's painted on it, beware, I am a witch. Mm. So a little bit of trivia about the crooked Wait, man. Wait, so the bridle the, so the, so the bridle was a cursed item Yeah, I guess kind. so, yeah. It was That's the... interesting. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think about that. You're absolutely right. I wonder if it has a name, like a Doctor Strange kind of a thing. The the <laughs> I was gonna say something. The beastly bridle of yes, the Baba Duke. There you go. That's great. <laughs> it kind of looks a little bit like a Baba Duke. Anyway. Yeah, you're right. It did kind of look like that. Some little trivia. Mignola says that Manly Wade Wellman's character, John the Balladeer, or Silver John, who wandered around the Appalachian Mountains playing guitar and fighting monsters, was a major influence on Hellboy. Mignola realized that he had never done a story of Hellboy in America and no stories with American folklore. Mm. So he researched some books and he found some cool ideas like the Catbone and the Witch Balls. And then it all kind of came together. Right. Mignola wrote the story specifically for Corbin to illustrate. He says, for my money, nobody draws scruffy trees, twigs, and falling down churches better than Corbin. (laughs) Mignola said some funny little thing. uh, Well, I don't know how funny you think this is. While writing the story, his daughter found a cat bone in the backyard. No other bones, just that one. What? And so he used it for reference. And and in, in his little afterward, he writes, funny. 
Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> the Crooked Man also won the 2009 Eisner Award for Best Limited Series. Mm. So, yeah, The Crooked Man. And so we had a pretty good discussion on that. I, I would like to some listener feedback on what you guys think about this story. One more thing before we go forward on to the next one. Um, where she gets turned into a horse at the very end of this reminds me of that issue of uh, Fantastic Four. The very, the very first time the scrolls were introduced, they turned into cows and then Reed used some machine to make them think that they were cows. Wow. wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's like an issue like one of the Jack Kirby, Stan Lee ones, but then like <laughs> that, they just left it. That was it. And then one day, years later... No. Somebody picked up on it and made. They did something where they made hamburgers out of that cow, and they were so uh, fucked up story. That, that, sounds, that sounds messed up. That's good. I like. I like hearing about that. Thank you, Aubrey. Before we go on, I think that I'm just realizing it now. I think I said Elfie Kolb, and it was Effie Kolb for that whole story. Yeah. So I'm sorry that I said that name wrong. Yeah, it's Effie. I'm not going to go back and like try and like, fix it or anything. <laughs> But yeah, I think I just said that name wrong for the whole. I wonder part if it's Cobb too. Do you think it might be Cobb, like the L is silent? Maybe. I mean, let us know, I listeners. No let, let us know how you really say that name. I know it's Effie. It's a weird uh, name. But anyway, I'm sorry for that. I, I mispronounce a lot of things. I think. Well, I am glad you pronounce it Appalachian and not Appalachian. <laughs> <laughs> so many arguments with people back in the south. <laughs> it's we're going to the Appalachian Mountains. Ah. Appalachian, you're my teacher. <laughs> Pronounce it right. <laughs> Today, oh, man. This is the same person who also mispronounced Zeus as Zeus. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. That's terrible. All right. That is unforgivable. Well, speaking of mispronunciations, we're going to talk about the Penangalan. I kind of, I was only going to do Into the Silent Sea and the Crooked Man for this episode, but then I thought, that's going to be weird. There's no Mignola. Yeah, let's yeah, the whole get some Mignola. With no Mignola. So, but I was going to talk about this. What did you guys think of the? Was this weird? Like having a whole episode's worth of content that wasn't really Mignola based. Yeah, it was weird. I mean, he wrote he wrote it. But he it wrote was it, yeah, but without the seeing the weird. art, yeah. It, it is kind of you know strange because you know um, you just have to you associate his style with it, and then when when I turn the page um, from reading the um, the last story to this one, I'm just like. Ah, there's that yeah. style. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have to really try and open yourself up a little bit more to some different artists. And I think I I do appreciate that. Yeah. And I think that Mignola himself, he said before, you know, he does want to see different artist styles in, in when he writes a script or whatever. But, I mean, I really like the, the artist from the first. I never will remember the name. Gary Gianni. Uh, in, no, Into the Silent Sea. Yeah, yeah, Gary Gianni. I like that a lot, but I guess it's... It's all just a matter of personal preference. Obviously, the three of us, we really enjoy Mignola's yeah. artwork, but opening yourself up to maybe having some other people interpret his stuff can be yeah, can be good at times. It can be. And, um, you know, I, I really have come to love all the artists, but I have to admit initially um, I didn't really, you know. Uh, so I'll, I'll talk about this. God, I meant to mention this when we were talking about Into the Silent Sea. So Into the Silent Sea came out last year. They're doing all those Hellboy and Hell stuff. Sure. And they announced a, an original graphic novel. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't wait to read this. So, like, the day that it came out, I went to the comic store. And I bought it. And I brought it home. And I read it. And I was just kind of like, I don't know. It didn't really right. hit me. And I was just kind of like, I, I have to say I was a little disappointed by Into the Silent Sea when I read it. Now, reading it after the island, I just loved it. I just mm -hmm. loved it so much more. I don't know... If it's because I was reading Hellboy in Hell and I was all wrapped up in that. Right. And then now kind of reading it in the order where it should fall in the chronological story, 
really made a huge difference for me because it picks up exactly at the end of the island. You know, he's building that little ship. There's Bailey's the pilot. And then in the beginning of the science sea, it's the exact same thing. So I really responded to that a lot more than when I read it the first time. Yeah, I can see that. Does that make sense? Anyway, so the Penangalan was originally published as part of Hellboy Premiere Edition in March of 2004. The issue was exclusively published through Wizard Magazine 148, and it also contained the BPRD story Born Again. The issue was published with three covers, one by Mignola showing an image from the Penangalan, one by Guy Davis showing the members of the BPRD, and a cover exclusive to the Los Angeles Wizard World Con showing a picture of Ron Perlman as Hellboy. The Penangalan, or Hantu Penangal, is a ghost of Southeast Asian folklore. It is a variation of the vampire myth found in the Malay Peninsula. It is similar to the... God, this is... I'm going to butcher all this. It is similar to the Mangalangal, a similar creature from Filipino folklore. Penangal, or Penangalan, literally means detach or remove. According to the folklore of that region, the Penangalan is a detached female head capable of flying on its own. As it flies, the stomach and entrails dangle below it, and these organs twinkle like fireflies as the Penangalan moves through the night. Horrible. Yeah, and we were watching, uh, There's the there was an e-comic of the Penangalan, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like guided viewing, but you have to like sit there and watch it. Yeah, but anyway, it, it, yeah, it was a while back. It was on one of those animated DVDs. But there's a little intro by Mignola, and he talks about how he read about this thing when he was like 14 or 15, and he said he decided it was the most horrible thing that he had ever <laughs> yeah. seen, he had ever read about, and he was like, I'm gonna draw that someday. <laughs> so um, we open on Malaysia in 1958. And so the Crooked Man also took place in 1958. So like he's on the other side of the world now. He went from being um, in the Appalachian Mountains to now in Malaysia, which is literally I looked it up on a globe. It's literally on the other side of the world. Jeez. In the same year. So I'd like to hear how he got out there. Well, we learn a little bit about that. Hellboy is accompanied by a girl, and it's told the story of an old woman who was performing a religious duty, and she was startled by a strange man, so she kicked her own head off and became a demon. Okay. <laughs> it's one way to react to that situation. Hellboy's reaction is great. That might be the stupidest thing I've ever heard. No offense. <laughs> the little girl says that there was once a Penangalan that haunted the woods, but there were some people who knew how to trap and destroy her. But now that the last Boma, or Malaysian shaman, is dead the Penangalan is able to come again. And now it's easy for her to fly into houses and drink blood. Well, she says here that people do not remember to hang thorns in their windows. Yeah. So, so that it's was, all been forgotten, all those all those little, little the, rituals and, yeah. and stuff. The shamanism has disappeared from that region, so the Penangalan yeah. is free to roam around. She asked Hellboy how he got there, and Hellboy says that he knew a doctor who was living there, and when the killing started... He wrote him a letter, and some friends, who we assume are the BPRD, probably sent him there. Mm. So maybe they picked him up in Appalachia and flew him to their side of the world. Sure. 1958, that would have taken forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a long flight. Well, uh, It's a long flight now. <laughs> some, of, some of it would have had to have taken place by ship, which right. I'm sure Hellboy does in not feel great about that. After the, after after the that. events of Into the Silent Sea, for sure. Oh, wait. Well, I guess the Into the Silent Sea hadn't happened yet. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm getting I'm getting I'm getting, my all, I'm getting myself confused. all mixed up. Hellboy asks the girl if she knew him, the doctor, and we get an ominous shot of the house in an open window during this scene, which I really like. It's kind of tinted pink or 
you know, and it's just kind of a very ominous little when she says, Doctor, no. The girl points out this hole that the Penangalan flies in and out of. You can almost hear Hellboy's voice as he's like, right. Yeah, he's <laughs> catching on here. The girl continues. She says that the Penangalan never sleeps and they should wait and surprise her. Body and head cannot be separate when the sun comes up. Hellboy smells vinegar. And we get some really good imagery of the flies flying all around this decapitated body. And there's like this pot next to it. The girl explains that the Penangalan needs it to soak her organs in when they are swollen with blood. So that they would fit back into her body. Uh Yeah, horrible, horrible description. And Hellboy taps the headless body and he realizes that it's been there for years. Maybe it's the old one. But if it's the old one, where's the new one? <laughs> and I love these, uh, this like zoom in of like teeth. And then these are like the organs, I guess, the intestines as the headless little girl's body falls over. Really well paced there. Really yeah, good really well paced. Movement. Oh, yeah. And pacing. And Hellboy's just like, I knew it. I knew it. He always <laughs> knows when this stuff is going to happen. He, he said the same thing on the island, I think. Fool, she lives in me, the Penangalan says. And Hellboy's just screaming as he's getting terrorized by this thing awful outside the sun has started to come up and hellboy thrashes with the penangalan's organs out of the cave and into the daylight and it kind of just bursts into flames so much for you pal right and we, <laughs> and we see kind of the the I, I like the little skull that's left over is kind of like with the exclamation point yeah. over its head it's like it's great. Shit. you know it's, it's kind great. of reacting to the fact that it just got totally burned super cute uh. panel so uh mignola found the story of the penangalan in her woods passport to the supernatural so that's the name of the book, and it's by Herwood, who was the name of the doctor. I do like that that he does that. He does that quite a bit, which is yeah. He's paying he's wonderful. paying tribute to the to it's, the original. It's really excellent. And stuff. Like, why not name him that? It's pretty good. Yeah. So um, I kind of wanted to talk about this a little bit before we close out. I've been trying to plan out the next few episodes. I think that we're going to finish off the short stories from the Library Edition 4 and then come back and get any short stories from the Omnibus versions that we haven't got to yet. Although, I might save the Hellboy and Mexico adventures for later. Because we're going to hit a stretch where we're not going to have a whole lot of Hellboy for a while. So I was thinking of saving Hellboy in Mexico since it's collected as, as its own trade. And saving that to come, so we have something to come back to later. Sure, um, but yeah, yeah. Tell me, <laughs> uh, so li- yeah, listeners, tell me what you think about that. I might post something on our social media this week asking for feedback. So let me know what you think. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. So tell us your thoughts on Into the Silent Sea, the Crooked Man, and the Pangalengalingaling. <laughs> Send us your feedback at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Join the book club at Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast or follow along at Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. On our next episode, we'll be discussing The Hydra and the Lion, The Troll Witch, The Vampire Prague, They That Go Down to the Sea in Ships, and Dr. Carp's Experiments. You can find our podcast at Podbean and Apple iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. If you can't find us, let us know and we'll get on there. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm Danielle. And I'm Aubrey Loveless saying, I'm going to squeeze the Holy Spirit into this thing. (laughs) 